being a cheerleader was something that Hannah really enjoyed. And uh, she not enjoyed the cheering athletic part of it, but she enjoyed uh, being part of the team and the friendships that she had formed over the years. And so many of her teammates and her friends shared not only her love for the sport of cheerleading, but they also shared uh, common faith that they would be in youth group together. And so uh, they were Christians together and they were members of and active members of church youth groups. And uh, so in the past, this had never been a problem for Hannah. She never had a conflict between either her faith or her youth group activity schedule and her cheer schedule. But that changed uh, one day when she got a new coach. Uh, this new coach, unlike the previous coach, was very different. And uh, through her actions and her attitudes towards the team, um, Hannah and several of the other teammates really started to see her not only as hostile um, and degrading to them, but really hostile to her faith, hostile to uh, what she believed as a Christian. And so it impacted Hannah and her friends in, in not just cheer, but in several different areas of her life because this was something she looked forward to. This is something that was fun. This was something that was enjoyable to her. And all of a sudden it wasn't anymore. It wasn't something that she wanted to do anymore. In fact, she really, instead of looking forward to it, was regretting having to be on this team much longer. And so her and some friends, as you saw in the video, decided that, that since this was such a, a big impact on their life, they needed to go talk to someone. And so they talked to one of their youth leaders, and their youth leaders gave them this advice. What you need to do is pray for your new coach. Now, Hannah admits that at the initial, that seemed really strange. Why would you pray for someone who's been so antagonistic and really hostile, not only to you, but to your expressions of faith? And so, uh, But Hannah was obedient, not just to her youth leader, but to the text we're going to look at this morning um, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And so she did what she was asked to do. She started praying for her coach. And she said that, you saw her there, she began to see some changes, some things that were different. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't know that all the changes that Hannah experienced were the coach's changes. I honestly believe that when we start doing what God's Word has called us to do, we're going to see changes of people outside, but some of the biggest changes are going to be us on the inside. And so for Hannah, she saw changes in her coach, but my guess is that her attitude, uh, her actions, and her, her thoughts towards this coach began to change as well because she's being obedient to what Paul writes here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And she learned a very valuable lesson about praying for those in authority. And the lesson was this, that listen, you're not commanded uh, to, or called to agree with those that are in authority, but you are called to respect them. You are called to love them, and as Paul is going to show us today, you are commanded to pray for them. Regardless of your opinion of them, you are commanded. So this morning we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first eight verses. And we've been looking at prayers of Paul. And this is not a direct prayer of Paul. He's not praying this for someone uh, directly. He's not saying, this is what I'm praying for you. Instead, what Paul is doing here is he's writing a letter to Timothy who's a young pastor in a church, and he's telling Timothy, this is what you need to be focused on. This is the prayer that you need to be praying. And so he's really telling Timothy that this is something you should be praying. This is how you should be praying. This is who you should be praying for. Um, and in doing so, I can imagine that Paul's not a hypocrite, and he's going to say, hey, this is what you need to be doing, but I'm not going to do it. So in a sense, this kind of is a prayer of Paul, because if he's going to write this to somebody else, my guess is that he's going to do it the same as, as, as himself. And so, uh, again, I want, like Hannah, uh, for some of you, your authority figures might be a coach. It might be a teacher. 
For some of us, we're a little beyond that, and so our authority figures are those that are running the government that's around us, or those that are, are in charge at our workplace. And, and so let me be clear, as I already said this morning, um, I didn't pick this text, I didn't pick this passage because of anything that happened on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or any other day that we still didn't know um, who our, our next president or governor or any other job was going to be. None of this came in response to that. And because... I had worked through this text months ago because this is honestly um, something that this is the Word of God. And it doesn't change on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday or Sunday. And let me tell you this. This is, this is my heart for this passage. This Word didn't change because somebody won or lost an election. And it really should not change how we respond to this Word. All right. And, and so I want to be clear that we're not doing this, we're not going through this because of an outcome of an election. We're doing this because this is what we should have been doing in the, fir- excuse me, in the first place. This is how we should have been responding to every government in all of our history as people in a nation. So let's go ahead and read 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1 and we'll work our way through verse 8. Verse 1 starts off with, it says, First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and for all those in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5, For there is one God, and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus, Himself human, who gave Himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. Verse 7, For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Finally, verse 8, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you that you came to our Egypt. And God, you called us out of there. God, I thank you that you proclaim the victory in every part of our life. God, we thank you for this cross that shows us the reminder, God, that the victory is already won. God, the victory is already true. And so, God, I'm praying this morning that we will cling to that victory. God, I'm praying this morning that we will cling to the promises that you have made and the promises that you have already fulfilled to us. God, I pray this morning that you speak to us as people, as Christians, God, as a body of believers. God, we're not going to probably reveal anything that we didn't already know this morning. There's not some deep, hidden meaning in this text. But God... There may be conviction that it needs to be here. God, there may need to be comfort that needs to be spoken through this text. And so God, while these words are not new to many of us, and while these words are not new to this world, God, I pray that they meet us in a new way. I pray that they meet us in a new place this morning. And so God, we give you this time. God, we give back to you the words that you gave to us, and we give to you an open heart to do what it is that you want to do in it. And so, God, we are calling you and inviting you, even though you're here, God, we are opening ourselves up to you, God, to speak these words of truth in our life and to our lives. And not because of something that happened this week, but because this is your unchanging word. But, God, I pray that it is unchanging only in the words 
but it is dynamically changing us. And so, God, I pray that we are laid open, that we are laid bare this morning. God, that we are ready to hear your voice, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, I got a call from a church member, and he was in the hospital, and uh, he wasn't sure how long he was going to be there. He had to wait for several tests, and they, were, they just weren't exactly sure what was going on. He had a couple of different things happening, and they weren't sure kind of what to pinpoint the problem was. And so um, they, they were having to run all these tests, and he was going to have to stay in the hospital until they kind of figured this thing out, what was going on on the inside. And um, So he called me and let me know that. And then the next morning, um, instead of coming straight to the office, I went by the hospital to visit with him and just see how he was doing, if, if they found out anything overnight or anything like that, and um, so I sat down with him, and we had a great conversation. I mean, we talked about all kinds of things, and, and it's a shame that politicians weren't in the room, because I'm pretty sure we solved the world's problem in that hospital room, and if just the right people would have been there hearing it, man, we could have solved everything right there, but man, we had great conversations. We talked about all kinds of stuff, and, um, and then I noticed, uh, I, I have this tendency when I go to visit people that I, I tend to stay probably a whole lot longer than I schedule myself to be there, all right? And so I looked down at my watch and realized that I had been there for a whole lot longer than I had planned to be there, and not that I was trying to cut this short because it was a great time, but I had other things on my schedule, and I had other things that I had to get to that day, and other things that were pressing, and so I finally got to a point, and I said, hey, I, I really, I'm, I hate that I'm having to meet you like this. I'm hate that we're having to spend this time together and that really you're kind of a captive audience because I can leave and you can't. And I hate that for you, but I've got to go. But before I go, do you mind if I pray for you? And his response, he looked at me straight in the face and he said, well, I reckon I need the prayers and you need the practice, preacher, so go ahead. And that's one of those statements that years later has stuck with me. And part of the reason it's stuck with me is because Normally when I look at somebody and say, can I pray with you or for you? Their answer is, sure, absolutely. Like I've never been told, hey, you need to practice, right? And so that's what the guy told me, is that you need to practice. And then it stuck with me over the years because I've really thought about it and the fact that both of those statements are absolutely true. He was right. He needed the prayers, and I needed the practice. Now, I want to be clear. I didn't need practice in that I needed to, to sound more elegant. I didn't need practice because I didn't say the right words or there was some magical formula that I made. I didn't need practice to perfect a prayer. I just needed prayer to be a practice of my life every single day and every single moment. I needed to be continuously practicing this spiritual discipline of prayer. And so he was right. I needed the practice. And guess what? You do too. Right? All of you that are sitting here, all you that are watching online, all of you that are, that are Christians, you need the practice. Not because you need the words, not because you need to be elegant, not because you're going to stand up here and do this in front of hundreds of people one day or thousands of people, however many people. That's not the reason you need to practice. You just need this to be a practice in your life. And so I needed to hear that, and I'm reminded of that. Every time I think of this gentleman, that's what goes through my mind. You need to be practicing prayer. But I'm also reminded that he needed prayer. Not just because he was laying in a hospital bed kind of facing this uncertainty, he was. But regardless, if, if I passed him on the street, he would still need prayer. In fact, if he was sitting where you're at this morning, he would still need prayer. The reality is that wherever we're at, whatever our situation is, we need people to pray for us. David Gusick, a great commentator and a great pastor, writes this. He says, you have never met someone who, cannot, who you cannot or should not be praying for. There is no such thing as someone who doesn't need us to pray for them. And this applies to the beggar on the street all the way to the rich king sitting in his palace. They need your prayers all the time. 
And that's the first idea that Paul is really trying to convey to Timothy, this very first verse of this chapter. In fact, I want you to see kind of why he starts this way. What Paul is addressing in chapter 2 is really this idea of corporate worship, this gathering. How do we behave? How do we structure worship when we get together? All right? And so before he gets to that, I want you to see how he starts in verse 1. It's pretty amazing when you think of that's the scheme he's talking about. He's talking about worship together. And in verse 1, he starts off, he says, first of all, first, before I get to this other stuff about worship, before I get to this other important stuff, because Paul's not going to write it if it's not important. He's working, the Holy Spirit's working in him and through him. He's not going to waste time or paper. Before I get to this stuff, first, this is what's important. If you don't get anything else out of this, get this, is what he's saying. First of all, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. And this is a a broad scope. This is who we should be praying for. Everyone. Uh, and this is, this is, there is no one that you've ever met that doesn't need your prayers. And, and we might uh, see a need on the outside, so we'll pray for me, those people. But let's be honest, people need your prayers whether you see the need on the outside or not. People need your prayers whether they ask for you to pray for them or not. Can I share with you some of the greatest prayers that I have or, people, or times that I pray for people and they don't even know I'm praying for them? They didn't call me and ask me to pray for them. They didn't write an email to me or, or anything to say, hey, here's something specific. Can I assure you there's great power in just lifting somebody's name up even if you don't know anything about that person or you don't know what's going on in their life. We need these petitions. We need these prayers. We need these intercessions for everyone because you'll never find someone who isn't in need of prayer. And so what Paul is saying, this idea is broad. It's huge. It applies to everyone. And he means literally everyone. He says, I don't care about your race, your gender, your social status, your income bracket, your employment status, your citizenship status. I don't care if your favorite team is playing today or not. I don't care if your favorite color is pink, purple, orange, or blue. I don't care if you're right-handed, left-handed. I don't care if you voted this way or that. I don't care. Everyone is everyone. And so who should we be praying for? Everyone. Let me give you another deeper idea. Paul doesn't say pray for the people you like. He doesn't say pray for the people in your family. He doesn't say pray for the people you get along with. You know what he says? Pray for everyone. That includes the people you don't like, the people that you wish weren't in your family, and the ones that annoy you each and every day. That's who the Paul is telling us to pray for. It is everyone. And it makes this difference. And it makes this idea that this is what Paul is urging and really commanding us to do, to pray for everyone. And then he gets to verse 2, and he narrows the scope down just a little bit. All right, He addresses this specific group. So he's cast this real broad net. Everybody's in need of prayer. And if you're going to be praying for everybody, then start at the top. So in verse 2, he goes on to say that in your praying... Pray for everyone, including kings and all those who are in authority. We'll come back to the end of verse 2 in just a minute. So, so listen, don't pray here and below. Pray from the top down. That's what he's saying. If you're going to be praying for everybody, don't forget about those people that are above you. Because sometimes in, in our Western culture, in our Western society, we tend to think the people that need prayers are the ones who have needs. i got news for you. Everybody's got needs. I don't care if they're rich, I don't care if they're poor, I don't care if they live in a mansion, I don't care if they have a title, everybody has needs. But we tend to pray from this level out, where, we're, where you're at, and below. And Paul is saying, no, 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 listen, I'm telling you to pray for everybody, and start at the top, start at the very, very top, and, and the king, and all those who are in authority. And so for us in America, the wording would be a little different, because we don't have a king. 
Right? We, we don't. Right? We, we've never had a king. But Paul, So Paul's words are true. The principle is there. Even though the wording would be a little different, the principle is the same. Pray for everybody and start at the top, man. Start at the highest ranking of your government. So this would be everybody. And so Paul, if he was writing to us today, this morning, what he would write is, that, listen, pray for the president. Pray for the president that's coming next. Pray for the senators and those senators that are coming next. Pray for the representatives in the House. Pray for the Supreme Court justices. Pray for the governor. Pray for the, uh, the state legislators. Pray for, let's bring it a little closer. Pray for the county commissioners. Pray for the mayor. Pray for the town council. Bring it even closer. Pray for your boss. Pray for your teacher. Pray for your coach. All of those. Why? Because they all have authority. That's who Paul's saying to pray for. All of those stand in need of prayer because they have a position of authority. And so we're kind of left with this idea of how do we pray for people that we don't know? Because I'll be honest with you, I've never met a president. I've never been a president. I don't know. I've never met the current president. I've never met the president that's going to come next. I've never met any of the past president. I've never met them. You know, it's easy to pray for somebody when we know them, when they tell us, this is what I want you to pray for me. It's easy to pray. I can pray for my neighbors because I know them, at least a little bit. But how do you pray for somebody you've never met? And how do you pray for them doing a job that you don't really know? Let's be honest. We all think we know what it's like, but we don't because we've never done it. So how do we pray for them? What should we be praying for them? And this is the great thing about what Paul writes here because he doesn't leave us in the dark. He doesn't just cast his broad, just pray for them. He didn't, just whatever you want, just go for it. He gets kind of specific and he does it in kind of this little subtle way. If you'll back up with me in verse 1, he uses these three different words, right? Three different words in Greek, but they're very similar in kind of their context. Petitions, prayers, and intercessions. And these are, like I said, three different Greek words, and they're very close to meaning. In fact, some people would say they're almost synonymous with each other. You could use them interchangeably. And in fact, if you've got a different translation of the Bible, that may not be the three words that are there. Okay, It may say sub, um, sublimation, or it may say intercession. It may switch some words around. But each one of these words, they have similar meaning, but they've got just enough different meaning to make them different. They carry a little bit different uh, focus on each one. And there's something unique about this because the Holy Spirit and Paul are living in a time where paper is expensive, and so you don't waste paper just writing the same thing over and over and over. So when Paul uses three different words, he's using three different aspects, three different things you should be focusing on in your prayers. And the very first word is petitions. And this has more to do with addressing kind of the personal needs or wants of someone. And so in praying that God will meet the basic needs of this person, this is what we're praying for. And so this is, this is where we would pray for food. This is where we'd pray for water. This is where we'd pray for the basic needs of that person. And now I understand that we live in America and we don't think... We think our president has that stuff, all right? So we don't need to pray for food and water. He's got all that, okay? And we don't think of our, our leaders needing that stuff. But there are other needs that, that our leaders do have, right? Health, safety, protection. These are all basic needs. And so in this part of the prayer, we should be focusing on the health and safety of our leaders. We should be praying for their protection and their welfare and their overall well-being. So listen to me. I, I, I don't care if you disagree with them or not. It is unbiblical and unchristian to pray for the... the, the um, excuse me. It is unbiblical and unchristian to pray against the health of a leader. I don't care if you like them or don't like them. I don't care if you think they're the greatest or the worst. For you to pray against their health, for you to pray against their, their, their well-being, is to go against what God is calling you to do. In fact, it's the very opposite of what God calls you to do. He says, listen, you need to be making petitions for them. You need to be praying for their well-being. 
I don't care if you agree with them or disagree with them, if you like them, if you don't like them, you need to be praying their safety and security for them. You need to be praying for their protection. That's the first one. The next word that Paul uses is prayer. And it sounds pretty much the basic the same, but this one, instead of the physical aspect, this is more the spiritual aspect than the first word. Here our focus is on their spiritual devotion and really on where they stand or, or how they're standing before God. And so there, this part of this is our prayer that we're praying for kind of spiritual insight. That we're praying that they have a stance before God. And really that they'll pursue God. And they will join with us in praying that your kingdom come, your will be done. And they will follow where they see God leading. This is the part of prayer that he's talking about. That we need to pray for their physical well-being. But we need to pray for their spiritual well-being as well. Their devotion in standing before God and pursuing the things of God. And so physically we pray for them. Spiritually we pray for them. And then we get to this last one. This last of the three words is intercession. And this is an interesting word because in the whole New Testament, it's only used two times. Paul does this sometimes. He only uses it here, and he uses it another time in this letter. And it's in chapter 4, verse 5. We're not going to look at that verse, but if you just want to jot that down, chapter 4, verse 5. And so that's the only time in the whole Greek New Testament this word is used. Paul is the only one that used it, and he used it in the same letter twice. And it's kind of hard sometimes to figure out what that word is supposed to mean when the only reference you have to it is, the same guy using the same word in the same letter. And so fortunately, there are some other Greek writers that, that give us a better understanding of what this word means. And it literally means to come along beside someone, to, to, to be able to meet or come together. And, and if you, I want you to get this mental picture of what it means to come along beside them. It means that if they're struggling, you come along beside them and they can prop up on you. And so they put their weight on you and you help them walk the rest of the way. Right? For you guys that are going to watch football later this afternoon, you're going to see intercession in this way. Because you're going to see some huge football player get hurt. Right? And I hate it's going to happen, but it's probably going to happen. They're, they're going to twist an ankle, they're going to pull a hamstring, they're going to do something. And then you're going to see some little trainer guy like my size go out there. And they're going to look over him and they're going to say, Alright dude, we've got to get you up off the field. And they're going to look down at this guy that weighs maybe 250, 280 pounds. And they're, they're like, alright, we're going to have to get you off the field. And you can't walk on your own. So then you're going to see intercession. Because what you're going to see is they're going to lift this guy up. And, and they're going to put one arm of this huge, massive football player on the shoulders of, of one guy. And they're going to put this huge, massive shoulder or arm on, the, on this other guy. And you're going to see these two little bitty guys propping up this big, huge, heavy, massive football player. Who's making millions of dollars while this guy who's carrying him is making hardly anything. What you just saw is intercession. What you just saw is someone coming along beside someone who needs help and helping them get to the destination they need to be. That's the word intercession. That's what Paul is saying. So when we put that in the context of praying for authorities, what he's saying is, listen, we need to be praying that there are points of connection between you and us. There are points of connection where we need to be able to get along and work alongside each other. Honestly, there are points of connection that you are weak in, but we are strong in, and so we can come along beside you and, and help carry carry you to where you need to be. I don't care what your political affiliation is. I don't care what your thoughts are. I don't care what your, your stance on any uh, topic is. There are certain things that we should be able to agree on and we should be able to work on and we should be able to help each other out. All of us want to see justice. We may disagree on, on how to carry that out, but we all ought to be working towards that. All of us ought to agree that racism is terrible and we ought to be working together to eliminate that. 
All of us should agree that people shouldn't have to go to bed hungry. Kids shouldn't have to go to bed hungry and worried about if they're going to have food or water the next morning. We should be working to end poverty, and we should be working together to do that. And yeah, we may have a different approach to do it, but there's no reason we can't work towards the same goal. And let's be honest, the government is insufficient in achieving these goals. We're going to see that in a minute. So why can't the church come along and prop them up and help them walk the path till they get there? And so Paul is saying we need to be praying for intercession, that we can have these times where we can come along beside these leaders and pray with them and meet with them and work together in this constructive way so that we can achieve things to bring God's kingdom on earth. The last thing that Paul mentions in this verse of how we pray or what we should be praying for these leaders is, verse, is thanksgiving. In the past few weeks, this has been a part of every prayer that we have seen and Paul praying uh, that we need to be thankful. And Paul spends part of his time being thankful and giving thanks in every one of them. But this one, he says, you need to be thankful. You need to be giving thanks for the king and for all those that are in authority. And, and I'm going to be completely honest with you. This one is easy or hard depending on who is in charge. If, if who we want in charge is in charge, then man, we, we're good at this one. It's real easy to give things when we're on top and, and, and our candidates win. And it's real easy to give things when they're governing the way we want them to. And so we're inclined to think that what Paul is talking about, that Paul kind of limits this to, hey, be thankful for those good leaders. Be thankful for those leaders who are agreeing with you and those leaders that are using you and those leaders that are, are, are excited about where you're excited about. And so we're, we tend to think that, that Paul's kind of limiting this to be thankful for good leaders. But I want you to understand that, that Paul is not addressing that. He doesn't limit it to that. In fact, he doesn't say that because that's not, what he's un, that's not what he's thinking. And I want you to understand that some of us are tempted to think, well, Paul must be, surely he can't mean ungodly or, or, or leaders that have kind of even oppressive views. Surely Paul is, is, can't speak into our current situation in this time and this place. Surely he really can't mean to pray for somebody who's hostile to our faith. But I need to remind you where Paul's at when he's writing this letter. You see, the reason he's writing to Timothy and so on going to visit to Timothy is because he's under arrest. He's sitting either in a jail cell or under house arrest and not allowed to go to Timothy. So he writes this letter to Timothy to give Timothy these instructions because he is under the, uh, uh, he's waiting a trial for what is probably the worst and most corrupt ruler of the whole Roman Empire. And this ruler and this emperor is a guy named Nero. And Nero was a terrible, terrible ruler. Not just socially, but when it came to the Christian aspect, this is a man who took joy in persecuting Christians. He literally had some of them drugged into the street and tore apart by dogs so that people could watch them. He literally had some of them uh, put on poles and burnt alive so that they could have lights to light up the Colosseum at night so they could kill more Christians in the middle of the Colosseum. This was Nero. And so listen to me. If Paul is saying pray for all leaders and all those in authority, this is who Paul is under the authority of. This is the leader and the king that Paul is under. So don't tell me that Paul doesn't understand that, that maybe there's an oppressive government. Paul is living it. And Timothy is living it. And he's telling you, be thankful even for the governments that are bad. Be thankful even when there's persecution that's going on. Be thankful for these leaders that are in place. And so you're like, and I just don't get it. And so he has this idea that you need to offer thanksgiving even for ungodly leaders and, and, God, and leaders that are going against what God stands for. And so honestly, some of us, maybe this week, this has been our struggle. And if you're struggling with this idea of how do we give thanks for someone who's so against what we are standing for and so against everything 
anything that is, is godly and, and they're unworthy of this title in our opinion, let me give you two reasons and two reminders of that. The first one is to remember that those people are in that position for a reason. And the reason is that God put them there. All right? We may vote, but God decides the outcome. I'm just going to be honest with you. Okay? So don't, tell, don't hear me say your vote doesn't matter. All that, it does. But God determines the outcome. There's a reason and a purpose for governing authorities. In Romans chapter 13, verse 4, Paul writes in a different letter to the Romans, to other Christians that are in Rome. He says, For government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant to avenge the things or bring wrath on the one who does wrong. There's a, there's a social justice, there's a justice aspect that government is in place to fulfill. And he goes on in, in a little before that in verse 1 of Romans 13. He says, everyone must submit to the government authorities. Get this. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. So if you need a reason to be thankful for an authority, even if you don't agree with authority, be thankful because God put them there. God instituted it, and God put the authority there. Does that mean we have to agree with them? No. But it means that God has put them there. He has placed them there for a reason. And so hear me loud and clear. Paul understands this, that even the most wicked and bad government that we could ever think of is better than the anarchy that would exist in its absence. Did you hear that? Even the worst government that you could ever imagine, the one that Paul is currently living in, Paul knows, hey, this is at least better than if there was no government at all. You see, the second reminder is where we sell God short all the time. Because the second reminder is that, listen, God can do great things even through a bad and wicked person. See, we just sang a song earlier, and this was not planned. In fact, I didn't even know we were singing this song until I got here this morning about God leading people out of Egypt, about leading you out of Egypt. Do you realize that God led the Egyptian or the Israelites out of Egypt and they were under the rule and slavery of King, uh, the Pharaoh? Do you understand the reason we have the story of the Exodus and the birth of the Israelite nation is because of an oppressive king? Fast forward a little bit. Do you understand that some of the greatest stories we learned as kids of Elijah calling down fire from heaven is because there was a wicked king named Ahab in the land? Do you understand that, that, that some of the greatest stories we have, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the reason we have those great stories is because this wicked, corrupt king named Nebuchadnezzar? Let me break it a step further. Do you realize the reason we have the wise men who are not in the Christmas story, but we put them there anyway, the reason they come is because the wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, had all these people sent off into ex exile? That's the reason. And so all of a sudden you have these people who aren't even associated with the Jewish faith showing up to worship Jesus, and it all happens because God used a wicked king to put them there. Let me take it a little bit further. Nero, we just talked about him. Nero is, is terrible, and he's a wicked king. He's a wicked person, and there's no question about that. But can I share with you this? The gospel has never spread faster or further and a faster rate than any other time in history than under the time of Nero. Because when Nero started persecuting Christians, when he started killing Christians, guess what they all did? They all took off. Because guess what? They were all sitting ducks in the city of Jerusalem. They were all sitting ducks in the city of Rome. And they said, hey, this guy's coming after us. We've got to get out of here. And they took off spreading everywhere. And guess what they did? They took the gospel with them. And when they took the gospel with them, they spread the gospel further and faster than it's ever spread in the history of Christianity. And guess what had happened under the wicked, ungodly King Nero? John Piper writes this. 
He says that the same emperor that executes Paul's maintains the peace of the providence where the gospel is spreading like wildfire. So our prayers for kings should always be seasons with thanksgiving because God can use the most wicked king to do the greatest things ever. So when we pray for authorities, we pray for their basic physical need. We pray for their health and their safety. We pray for their physical devotion and their spiritual standing before God. We we pray for points of meeting and contact where we can work together. And we pray with thanksgiving that God put people in place for our good and for our protections. And and He established those positions. Then He goes on to tell Timothy that, listen, when you start praying for your leaders, when you start praying for people in authority like this, there's going to be certain things that happen. There's going to be certain results that we're looking for. And so, honestly, one of the things that we should see when we start praying like this for our leaders, regardless of who they are, is kind of like Hannah in this video. We're going to start noticing changes. And my guess is it's not always the change of the leader. Sometimes the changes are on us. And it's for ourselves. But one of the first results that we're going to see when we start praying for those in authority is we're praying for religious freedom. That, that we experience this religious idea. You see, one of the early charges against Christians were that they were anarchists. I know that sounds crazy to us. But that was the charge. And and let me give it to you like this. Let me kind of follow the logic. Because a Christian would not sacrifice to the Roman God meant that they didn't respect the gods who put Caesar into place. And because they wouldn't respect those gods, they wouldn't bow to Caesar. And because they wouldn't bow to Caesar means they didn't respect Caesar and they didn't appreciate his authority. And so they they were overthrowing. They were treasonous at best if they were not revolutionist at best. And so really what they were saying is that Christians wouldn't bow to, they wouldn't sacrifice the gods, they won't bow to Caesar. And so really they are anarchists. Because what they're saying is, let's overthrow this whole government, let's get rid of all this government, and let us be in charge. Now, you and I know that wasn't the case at all. That wasn't the idea of the Christian faith. That's still not the idea of the Christian faith, but that's what they believed. Because you got this group showing up, and all of a sudden they're saying, hey, we're not going to bow to Caesar. We're not going to worship these gods that you had. This was their whole government system. And so all of a sudden, you've got this group of Christians that, that they are anti-government, they're anti uh uh, Caesar, they're treasonous, they're revolutionaries, they don't believe in the system that we've established, and so they are bad. They're wanting anarchy, they're wanting revolution, they're wanting to revolt. And if Rome, if Rome does anything, it doesn't allow revolts to happen. And so one of the first things that we should be able to see and when we start praying for these leaders is we should see this religious freedom. Go back with me to verse 2. When we were praying for kings and for all those in authority, get this, so that, this is the result, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. You see, this tranquil is, this is the only time Paul does it again. It's the only time this word is used in the whole New Testament. It means to be calm or free from disturbance. Right? So what he's praying for is very simple. It sounds so easy. He's not praying for a special position. He's not praying for a state church. He's not praying that Christianity becomes the, the religion of the whole Roman authority. That's not what he's praying for. What he's simply praying for in this prayer, what he's hoping happens in this prayer, is listen, pray for them so they'll leave us alone. So that we can live a quiet life and we can do what God's called us to do without the interference. Without a government or a state coming in and trying to interfere with with worship. Without a government coming in and interfering with what we are called to do. But I notice he doesn't just pray for the government so that we can live a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. There's a responsibility we have as well. 
So pray that the government will leave us alone and let us do what we're called to do. Pray that, that, that we can live and we can worship, we can do our Christian duties, and we can do all that unrestricted by the state and by, the, by their intervention. And, and pray that, that, that they won't see us as anarchists, as anti-emperor, as anti-government. Pray that they'll understand that we're actually not against the government, we're praying for the government. Pray, pray that they begin to understand that we're not fighting against you. We're not trying to revolt against you. We're actually on your side because we can work together because we recognize that God's put you there for a reason. And so pray that they will leave us alone. But also in that, pray that you live a life of dignity. Pray that you live a life of godliness. And so regardless of what the government does, whether it does interfere or not, it doesn't get you out of this responsibility of living a godly life of dignity. And so Paul is simply saying, when we start praying, maybe they'll get the idea that we're not trying to throw them out. We're not trying to overthrow them. And they'll just leave us alone. That's what Paul's praying. He's not praying to overtake the government. He's not praying for, for uh, this, this massive, uh, that the church becomes the state. He's not praying the state is, is on the church and the church. No, just leave us alone. Just don't come into our sanctuary and tell us that we can worship this way and we can't worship that way. Just don't come into our homes and tell us that we can't pray this way or we can't pray that way. Just don't come in our homes and tell us we've got to pray to this person or that person. Just leave us alone. And just let us do what God's told us to do. That's what he's praying for. This religious freedom that, that, he, that we in America enjoy so much that the rest of the world doesn't necessarily enjoy and sometimes is very um, appreciative of it and sometimes we take for granted. Just pray that they'll just leave us alone and let us do our stuff. And then when that happens... One of the things that's going to follow that is greater opportunities for evangelism because one of the things that we are called to do as Christians is to share our faith and to share the gospel. And so if we're going to take for granted these religious liberties, which we often do, we need to follow it up with this idea of, hey, listen, leave us alone, but let us go share our faith because that's what we as Christians are called to do. And Paul puts this in in verse 3 and verse 4. When he puts this in this idea, he says, listen, this is good. It pleases God our Savior. So connect that with verse 2, that, that we will live a tri, uh, quiet and tran tranquil and quiet life, and that we will um, live a life of godliness and dignity. This is good. And it pleases God our Savior. Moving on to verse 4. Who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So when we pray for religious freedom, we're wants to share the gospel. And we can't share the gospel if we're too worried about hiding out. So pray that we quit hiding out and we start going out. Pray that we quit holding it all on the inside because we're afraid of what's going to happen. And we can have these opportunities because God wants everyone to be saved. They'll just leave us alone. We can continue having these conversations and spreading the gospel so more and more people can be saved. And one author put it this way. He says, if you want your prayers to do the most good for the greatest number of people, be sure to include the prayers of those people who make decisions that create the conditions which will either cause the gospel to prosper or to be hindered. It's important to pray for leaders because the conditions they create will either advance or impede the gospel. Did you hear that? One of the major reasons to pray for a leader is not for the leader. It's for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the last result that we're going to see when we start praying for our leaders this way is unity. And it's not really unity outside of the church. It's not really unity that happens outside of, of what we know as the church. It's unity within the church. In verse 8, he says, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Remember, Paul is addressing this subject of, of public worship and this gathering together. And he says, first of all, I want you to be praying. That's number one, essential. Before I tell you anything else about worship, this is number one, be praying. And he follows this up with two aspects of prayers. With holy hands lifted up, 
Okay? So realize that in your prayer you are lifting up holy hands, which means you have cleaned your hands. Your hands are not a hindrance. And there's nothing in your life, because you're now holy, there's nothing in your life that's going to hinder your prayers from getting to God. So I want every man, every person, to be able to offer a prayer up to God, not being hindered by a sin in your life. So if some of us, we're having problems with our prayer life because our sin in our life is hindering this, because we can't lift a holy hand. we got some nasty, filthy, dirty hands that we'll give Him. But we ain't ready to get rid of the sin. And Paul says, listen, I want everybody to be spotless and clean. Not physically, but spiritually. And so that way, your prayers will not be hindered. That you can lift up these holy hands. And then he takes it from a vertical aspect to a horizontal aspect. And he says, without anger or argument. This is our relationship not with God, but with each other. This is where we are praying for those in authority will unite us instead of divide us. This is where we spend time um, bringing ourselves together. Because let's be honest, over the last months and, and, and several months, we spent more time arguing with each other than praying for each other. We, we spent more time, and I don't, goodness knows if you've been on Facebook, I don't care where you are. Um, you, man, we spent so much time arguing and fighting rather than praying for each other and with each other. We've spent so much time as a nation and as a church, not just this church, but Church Universal, we've spent so much time pointing fingers at each other and yelling at each other. That he said, listen, you need to be praying for these leaders. So that there's not arguments and there's not fighting amongst yourself. Because guess what? When the world sees you fighting, they got no use for you. They got all that on the outside. There's enough fighting on the outside. They don't need to see it on the inside. You're going to have zero impact for the gospel if they don't see a difference on the inside versus the outside. What he's saying is, listen, we have bought the same lie that the world has been buying for years. That if we disagree, it means we hate each other. That if we disagree, that means we can have nothing to do with each other. That if we disagree, it's a reason for us to boast ourselves and lift ourselves up and a chance to belittle everyone else. That if we disagree, we can't be together, we can't eat together, we can't worship together, we can't pray together, we can't have anything to do with each other. And I want to share with you that's the biggest lie that Satan's ever told and has went through our society so quickly. And Paul is saying, listen... In all of these prayers for these authorities, lift up your holy hands, address your Father in heaven, but also make sure that there's not arguing with each other. Make sure that you're lifting up these holy hands so that you're, there's hope rather than hindrance and there's hatred. I've got to share with you, this is the, 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 the hardest thing for me working through this passage, is we have spent so much time fighting for a party or for a candidate and so little time praying and honestly, so little time sharing the gospel with each other. Just think about things you have seen on Facebook and how much of it has been the gospel and how much has been arguing over something that in 50 years from now is not going to matter. And Paul is saying, listen, stop the arguments and start praying for each other because when we start praying for each other, we're going to sense the difference and it's going to be from the inside out. You see, the great pastor Adrian Rogers says that the battle for a godly government isn't one with upward fists of rebellion, but a downward humble knee in prayer. And he goes on to say that the greatest responsibility in America is not in the White House. It's in the church house. 
See, the greatest benefit of praying for kings and for all those in authority it allows us as Christians to focus on the higher authority. It allows us to focus on the one who's really in charge. And, and sandwiched right between uh, praying for all authorities in this bottom verse that we looked at, verse 8, of, of praying um, with holy hands and without argument, right in the middle of those, he sandwiches this picture of the gospel in verse 5 and verse 6. He says in verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus Himself human. It goes on to verse 6. Who gave Himself a ransom for all. A testimony at the proper time. You see, there is two huge ideas in these two verses. The first one in verse 5. There is one God. You hear that? One God. And I got news for you. He didn't change on election day and He's not going to change on inauguration day. He didn't change in 2020. He didn't change in 2016. He didn't change in 2012. He didn't change in 2008. He's not going to change in 2024. He's not going to change in 2028. There is one God. And that one God reigns regardless of what party is in office. That one God is in charge regardless of what else happens. That one God is above all and in all and through all. It's the one God who created everything and sustains all everything. It's the one God that every other authority has because every other authority is put there because of this one God. It's the one God that sustains when everything else falls apart. It's the one God that is stable when all the other world is shaken and crumbling. It's the one God that has the greater authority and the stabilizing force to hold it all together and put it back together. It's the one God who, who looks to a higher authority because in Proverbs 21 verse 4, it's the one God that holds even the king's heart in his hand and he can turn it any way he wants it. You see, so much time we spent looking at a candidate when we should have been looking to who put the candidates there. So much time we spent looking at a candidate instead of looking to the God who put the candidates there, instead of looking to this higher authority. That regardless of what happened this week or what's going to happen next week or two weeks from now, there is one God and that God didn't change. He's not going to. He never has and He never will. That's the authority we need to look to. But the second thing is just as huge and it's just as big. When we pray for authorities we're going to realize that our salvation is not dependent on them. You see, government can do a lot of great things, and governments do a lot of good things, but they cannot do the most essential thing. They cannot get us back to where we need to be. They cannot get us back to the God who created us perfectly and formed us perfectly. They, they, they cannot put us back like we're supposed to be. What it takes for that is what makes clear in verse 5, that there is one God, but there's also one mediator, Christ Jesus and he goes on to say that he mediates, he stands between us and God. He stands in this, this, between us because he gave his life this perfect sacrifice. He paid the ransom. He purchased us for freedom. And he paid the price for our sins. And he paid the price for death. And this freedom is something that government cannot give you. And so understand when he says there is one God that doesn't change. There's one standard that doesn't change. There's also one mediator that will stand between you and the judgment of God. And it's not government that's going to do it. Because I don't care how big your government is. I don't care how good your government is. I don't care how great you think your government is. I don't care if every candidate you ever voted for ever got in office. They can't bring you back to the place that God wants you to be. Because they are not able to do it. There is one who can. There is one mediator to do it. And listen, and what Paul makes clear here is that if there is any hope of salvation, it's not through a government. If there's any hope of restoration, it's not through a government. If there's any hope, it comes in Christ, in Christ alone. And the one mediator, guess what? Just like the one God. He didn't change in 2020. He didn't change in 2016. He didn't change in 2012. He didn't change in 2008. He didn't, he's not going to change in 2024. He's not going to change in 2028. There is one God and there's one mediator and that's never going to change. I don't care who's in charge. That never changes. This past week, I got to watch 
video conference with Right Now Media, and it was great. Um, I spent most of my day in my office just getting to hear some great sermons. And In fact, one of them hit me so hard, I even posted on Facebook. And you guys that... If you watch it on Facebook, I don't post, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you, right? But this one hit me so hard, and I just need to hear it, so I put it on there. But there was another sermon on there that near the end of it by Tony Evans. And Tony Evans gives this beautiful illustration about Humpty Dumpty. And I don't often end my sermons with a video. I always start them with a video, but I don't end them. But this, this, is, so, this is too good, okay? So I'm going to give you just a few minutes, and we're going to watch this. You probably never thought, and you're never going to leave here and think about Humpty Dumpty the same again. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? Because if you ever heard Tony Evans preach, I mean, you're going to be excited about it. But listen, I'm just going to give you a couple of seconds, or actually a couple of minutes, because this is such a great illustration that you need to hear this. And so we're going to finish our time together. We're going to watch just a few minutes of this sermon, um, and then I'm going to come up and close this in prayer, right? And then we'll sing together um, and have our invitation. But uh, just for a few minutes, I want you to watch um, the, the lesson in the story of Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> 